Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. The guest this week is someone I'm very excited to be talking to. We are talking all things job searching, resumes, interview prep. We're going to dive into all of those topics. She is Grace Mao Wong at Speech Therapy Mom. You're probably familiar with her Instagram page. She has a lot of tips on bilingual speech and language development in addition to tips on feeding and swallowing. So definitely check that out. Grace completed both her undergraduate and graduate degrees at the University of Georgia. She is currently based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and she has experiences in a variety of settings, including pediatric home health, public school, with a concentration in preschool and hospital acute care. And as I mentioned, she can be found at at Speech Therapy Mom on Instagram and on YouTube. Grace has been applying to many jobs recently because of changes with COVID. And I have been applying to a lot of jobs because I am finally done my program. So we figured this would be a perfect time with new grads coming into the field and also for people looking for jobs because of COVID to kind of have just an interview and a discussion surrounding tips and tricks for interviewing and looking for jobs. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Grace. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. So I feel like we should just dive right into it. I think what people usually start with when they're looking for jobs is like, what do I do with my resume? What should it look like? What should I include on it? So I think we should just maybe start with what would you recommend people include on their resume? Definitely. Yeah. I think resumes are like the first steps to getting a job. I think they're super important because this is the employer's first, very first impression of you. And they don't know what you look like, how much of a hard worker and team player you are, or how passionate of a speech therapist you are. So I think that's why it's so important to somehow showcase that in a direct and concise manner through your resume. And there are plenty, plenty of resources out there for resume building. I personally sought out guidance back in college at our career center. Most colleges offer that. And so if you are in a program and you have that at your university, I would definitely take advantage of that. Some very, very helpful guidelines that I learned from that is that most importantly, you need to stick to some resume etiquettes. One is to make sure that your contact info is very easy to find and clear to see. You don't want your employer to have to go digging in your first email to find how to reach you if you got the job, you know? And then next, you want to make sure that your resume looks clean and concise. Unless you're trying to get into a more creative line of work, most employers just want to know your experiences laid out in clear, clear sections and a clean and neat resume shows that you're a very organized person. And then another thing is that you want to use action verbs followed by specific descriptions of your experiences. For example, if you worked with a patient with let's say Parkinson, um, using the Lee Silverman voice treatment, big. You want to specifically say that on your resume. And don't just say provided voice therapy to the geriatric population. Um, you want to be very specific on what you did. And um, I, Shannon, I sent you over a link um, of a list of action verbs developed by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Career Center um, for anyone that is currently building their resume to check it out. It's very, very helpful. Lastly, I would say keep your resume no longer than two pages. We can probably talk about ourselves all day long, but at the end of the day, the employer has a lot and plenty of resumes to go through. So you want to demonstrate your strengths and move on. 
if you're supposed to stand out amongst all the other resumes, then just one page should do the job. So that's what I would say about resume building. Yes. I, so I will include that in the description. So anyone can just go to the description and you can click it and you can see those action verbs. I really like how you called it um, resume etiquette. <laughs> like it's a very kind of clear way to think about it. And when you mentioned two pages, I feel like a tip for people to try to keep it to two pages is just delete anything that is not related to that job. So that might seem like obvious to some people, but I know some of my friends, they'll still include something from undergrad that they did one time that was related to something entirely different from speech therapy. So I feel like that's an easy way to shorten it to two pages is just get rid of all the fluff. Like you said, just like kind of hone in on the experiences that are unique and useful for the specific job you're applying to. So depending on where I'm applying, I might be changing my resume for every job. Do you find mm. that you were doing that too? Yeah, that was a good point. Especially all the clubs that you were involved in, in undergrad, some of those are just not necessary. And then another tip, you what you said just made me think of how to keep things short and condensed is the margins. <laughs> Um, which is a silly trick, but yeah, edit your margins so that you can fit more words into one line rather than taking up three lines to say, to describe one job that you did. Yes, my resume has pretty wide margins and <laughs> it has a smaller font. So you can, as long as it looks clear, organized, I like how you said your resume is kind of a reflection on you as a person. So is it organized? Is it clear? Is it easy to read? And then one thing, since I've been applying to jobs, I just want everyone to be prepared to know every name and every detail about everything that you include on your resume. So you should know every clinical educator because that also I think could seem obvious to some, but once you have years of experience on a resume, sometimes you will forget the names of a certain person who was your boss for that one or your some sort of um, like coordinator for a job you did an undergrad in the summer that was related to SLP. So before every job interview, I'll do a quick refresher and I'll kind of go through and literally name everyone because I have had it in undergrad where I was asked who a supervisor was and I did not know. <laughs> and no one, no one should go through that. It's just don't do it. Okay. So now that we kind of had a little discussion on the resume, what types of questions should people be preparing for, for their interviews, assuming you got your job interview? Okay. So across all the settings that I have interviewed at, there are basically two types of questions stand out. And the first is performance-based. And then the second one is personality-based. Performance-based questions are your clinical knowledge questions. And these are the questions that you need to be memorizing technical terms for, kind of like how you studied for your boards or comprehensive exams. And then there is the personality questions, which are at times good for answering in the moment, but I tend to have a list of examples from my past experiences to gravitate towards just in case I come up empty. Let's go back to performance-based interviews. Performance-based questions may be something like, what is childhood apraxia of speech? And what are some treatment approaches to it? And I use this example because this was actually an exact question that was asked of me when I interviewed at a children's hospital and I totally funked it. <laughs> So that's why you want to be able to just kind of pull this out of your brain. You want to know these disorders, these treatments and approaches that you can work with so well that you can kind of just pull it out when they ask you. Personality question, on the other hand, is the employer's way of trying to get to know you and your interpersonal 
effectiveness, which can be questions involving how flexible you are, how adaptable you are, even how good you're at customer service or organizational stewardship. They want to know if you were put in a specific situation, how you would react or respond to result in the best possible outcome. And an example of personality-based question may look like, tell me about a time when you had a disagreement with a colleague or coworker, and how did you solve this disagreement? Another one that always come up for me is, tell me about a time when you had to work with an angry customer or an angry parent, et cetera, and how you solve that problem. So these are always good questions to have specific examples of that you can relate back to. So it's good for you to actually imagine a time that this happened to you so you can answer these questions. Um, yeah, I like how you laid it out so clearly, performance-based, personality-based. It is so funny to me that you had that question about childhood apraxia of speech because no joke, yesterday I literally had that exact same question. I had what are the signs and what are what are treatment approaches and thankfully I knew the answer but I was thinking like that is like you need to be prepared for clinical questions because some interviews I've had lately they're all kind of just a chat or it's very very informal and then somewhere I found that they mostly talk to my references so they just kind of want a quick debrief on my clinical experiences. And then I had one yesterday where it was very clinical scenario based. I think it's good how you mentioned to be prepared for performance based and personality based and to kind of study for it like it is a test because they could ask you a question about childhood apraxia speech or a different type of treatment approach. So just kind of be prepared for that. Also, I feel like it helps to ask other people questions that they've been asked and try to like have discussions like this because maybe if I talked to you before then I would have been extra prepared for that question <laughs> also one thing that my sister told me before about prepping for questions is having multiple stories that you want to share about yourself having a story about a time you did something well and having a story when something was challenging and, and then try to tailor that to questions that are asked so you're having all of these things to draw from and then when you get asked a question, like, when did you have a challenging experience with someone, you'll have a story to target and tailor specifically to that question. I totally agree. So I actually, at work, I have this notebook that I just have in my drawer. And sometimes I will pull it out if I have like a very memorable interaction with a patient or something crazy happened that day. And I kind of just write it down. So then that notebook actually comes in very handy when I'm preparing for my interviews, because then I can just draw from these real life stories that I have to talk about how how I solved issues or how I worked through a problem with a patient. That's, yeah, that's a really good idea. So then you can easily draw upon that. Okay, so we kind of talked about what types of questions to prepare for, but what are helpful resources for job searching as a whole? What would you recommend to people? Because I know when I first was looking for jobs very recently, like one month ago, <laughs> I... <laughs> I um I really had no idea where to look and I'm still not entirely sure where people look like I actually was lucky enough to have someone help me through a connection through Instagram because there's some Vancouver SLPs and that was really helpful with that but I remember literally googling like SLP jobs Vancouver and I'm like there has to be a better way 
<laughs> but yeah, so do you have any tips for just resources for job searching? Yeah. So this is something that you can build up over time, especially as you get to know more SLPs in your local area and build more connections with your national organization. And just like anything in life, you want to have a group of very supportive individuals in your corner. So with job searching, honestly, it's such a cliche, but connection is key. Kind of just like what happened to you with people that you know in Vancouver. The most helpful resources in my experience has been one, my cohort, the cohort ahead of me, and two, my past supervisors and mentors. These have been the people that most likely apply for jobs in my area and know the people that have worked at jobs in my area. And so the first thing I do when I receive notice about an interview is I brainstorm any and everyone in my circle of connection that I know either has worked at a job or basically interview them about their experiences and the knowledge that they have about the job. And then there's always sites like LinkedIn, Glassdoor, and Indeed, which are very hit or miss, but I definitely have found one or two good jobs on there. Also, one of my biggest tricks kind of like what you already did, is that um, I go straight up on Google Maps and then I type in something like hospitals in, and then a specific city. So for example, hospitals in Seattle, Washington, or pediatric ENT in Atlanta, Georgia. And once you see all the little place markers on the map, you can just click through them and then they will come up with the site that goes directly to the hospital or directly to the private practice. And then once you're on their page, you can go directly to their careers page. I have found plenty of jobs just doing that. But that's only know if you know the exact location that you want to look for jobs. And then, of course, at least in the States with the American Speech and Hearing Association, we have a portal that you can go on to search for jobs. But that's just, that's like where they dump a bunch of jobs. So then you kind of have to specifically sort through uh, the setting you want and the clients that you would like to see. I have never thought to do the Google Maps thing. That is so smart. And I think you could literally type in like speech therapy clinic. And the city, yeah. That's it's genius. Why have I never thought of that? No, it, it just came up one day when my husband and I were just dreaming about moving to a random place. And then, so I kind of zoomed in right there on Google Maps and I was like, well, I need a job if we move there. And so I, lit I literally typed in hospitals in that city. And then, I mean, like 10 stars popped up. And then I just clicked through the stars and then went to their websites and it directly takes you to the career page. And then you just type in speech language pathologist and voila. <laughs> so smart. That is a really, that is a really helpful tip that I feel like it's very, it's not intimidating. You know, it's like, that's manageable. You can, yeah. you can go into Google maps. And, oh, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Also, I like that you said connection is key because it's so true. It's like, do not underestimate even your own cohort because my cohort has a Facebook page and they're posting jobs. And I feel like most SLP cohorts are so helpful and nice. I actually had a job interview. This just made me think of this. I just had a job interview on Wednesday and I hadn't, I wasn't aware of this, but one of the girls in my program actually worked there as an SLPA in her undergrad. And I didn't even know that when I applied. And so the owner of the clinic reached out to her and asked about me. And then she gave me this really nice kind of review for the owner. And then the owner told me, and I was like, that's so nice because we are all applying to similar jobs. Like she didn't have to do that. And I just feel like don't underestimate how 
kind SLP cohorts are. They really have each other's back, it feels like. Yeah. And one, there is room for everyone. And then two, um, even in addition to your cohort, even even if you did an undergrad degree in something else, totally still keep those people in your loop. One of my personal experience was that, so I did my undergrad in music therapy, actually. And one of my friends in that cohort later became a speech therapist. He actually worked at the VA. So then when I was applying for my VA job, I connected with him again and he had such, such great tips for me. So even though I didn't have a past experience with him as a speech therapist, he was super helpful. So just keep these people in your corner. Yes, 100%. Okay, so now moving on to the the topic that no one wants to talk about. And that everyone's, everyone as in myself is very intimidated to talk about with financial employers. How do you negotiate salary? Oh my gosh, please help. (laughs) Yes. Like I said, with everything else, this definitely comes with experience. The more times you talk about it, the more times you approach your employers about it, it becomes normalized. It becomes just a topic that you're supposed to broach. But um, yes, it is definitely tricky because money is such a taboo topic. But one thing hopefully that will make you feel a little better about when you do have to talk to your employer about this is that most of the time your employer isn't the one that is allotting money to you. This is something that the finance department probably has to do. They just have to advocate for you. And so treat it as like they are just a messenger. So you're not putting that much pressure on them, really. The most helpful resources here is that for us, ASHA has an annual salary report. And you can just type in on Google ASHA salary survey with the year that you're looking for. And the first link that pops up will be a very, very comprehensive PDF that breaks down what SLPs are getting paid for based on one, their years of experiences and two, the different settings they work at. So if you receive an offer letter that makes you wonder if you're getting low balled, check that survey. If that survey shows that the average income of the people in your bracket of years of experience to be higher than what you're getting offered, then I would just straight up bring that document to them and show them and advocate for yourself, even when you're just starting out because you have worked so hard to get to this point. All those years of education, all those hours of free services during your clinicals. And then another way that I have heard to negotiate salaries, I haven't personally done this myself, but one of my coworkers did, is to interview everywhere, interview in so many places and get so many different offers that you physically have the offer letters in your hands and the sum and the amount that they're willing to offer so that you can go to your favorite, most desired employer and ask them to match it. This actually did happen to one of my coworkers and she went around, interviewed, and then brought that letter back and they absolutely matched it because they see that she is that valuable. You know, it also kind of boosts up your profit. And so it never hurts to interview at as many places as you want. You're not leading anyone on, you're just exploring your options. In the end, you're just honing your interview skills and allowing yourself to explore and understand where you'll thrive. And so that is definitely a great tip to negotiate salaries. Yeah, so I feel like a big theme of what you just said is do your research and you should be knowledgeable about this topic when you're in an interview and you even should be prepared for, which I've been asked a lot, like how much do you want to get paid or how much are you expecting to get paid? 
or are you familiar with how much a new grad would get paid? I think I've been asked that at every single job interview. So just having some sort of number. So whether you look on ASHA or you ask other SLPs, just being prepared to answer the question. And then I like how you said just interview everywhere because it can feel weird to be interviewing at lots of places kind of how you said like you're not leading them on because you might feel like oh no they think I might be interested there and but it's like no one thinks you're only applying to one job (laughs) everyone knows you're job searching and also just from my personal experience in general obviously we didn't come into this career to make money this is a helping profession but from what I've heard with talking to different people which is another tip just just openly ask people about it it's obviously they're not going to give you their specific sum but if you are interviewing and you genuinely come to them be like I just want to know if I'm getting lowballed mostly people in your cohort and your supervisors are going to tell you the truth and in general it seems like if you look at that survey it seems like the medical setting and the private clinic setting is going to pay more than the public schools and the public setting in general. And so that's just kind of a guideline to know in your head when you are applying to these places. If you're getting the same numbers from say a public school versus like a home health, then you can kind of go back to that document and just show them there's definitely a huge difference in these settings. Yeah, that's a really good point. So that's a nice comparison. I think we could just end off with a very kind of general question, which is how would you recommend people prepare for their interviews? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this is kind of a summary of everything we've been talking about. And what I like to do with everything in my life is to streamline a process. So it's very important for you to streamline. Once you have these interviews starting to coming in, um, it would be good for you to streamline the process so that every time you have another interview coming up, you're not scrambling around. And some tips I have for streamlining preparation for interviews are are one, to keep a folder on your computer on all your job-related materials, such as resumes, certificates, prepared answers, kind of like that notebook I was talking about for stories that I can just kick back on, and then grad school notes that you can easily refer to. Especially during this COVID time, a lot of my interviews have been either over the phone or over Zoom. And the best thing about having over the phone is that they can't see you. And so, you know, if it happens that during one of your interviews, you're like, I totally forgot what apraxia of speech is. You can quickly open that folder and refer back to it. And then next one is to develop a list of people you can reach out to for information on the place of employment and call them chat with them, do a mock interview with them. And this step may also involve calling the people who you are putting down as references, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, is to remember all these people that you're mentioning so that they are not surprised by a random email or a random phone call from the employer that is interested in hiring you because they themselves would probably need to prepare for this phone call as well. And then another thing is to practice, practice, practice. I know we hear this all the time, but actually develop a list of potential questions and answer them out loud. Just like the concept of airless learning, the more times you expose yourself to the correct information, the more neuronal pathways in your brain that are built surrounding that information. So you want to be so prepared that if I woke you up at say 3 a.m. in the morning to tell me about childhood of practice of speech, you can word vomit it out and tell me exactly what it is. So practicing is so important out loud. Practice these interview questions out loud. 
And then lastly, on the day of your interview, just trust the process. There is no point in nerving yourself up by overloading yourself with any more information on the day of the interview. If you were meant to get this job, then everything you have already done in preparation will get you there. So trust the process and know that if you don't end up landing this job, there must be something else out there that is even more suitable for you. So yeah, that is pretty much my order of conduct when it comes to preparing for interviews. Of course, everyone's may look a little different, but it's always helpful to have a system set up for you that works. That is so helpful. I love how you list things out so clearly, so organized. It's really nice. Yeah, I also have a folder on my computer and it's very helpful because it starts getting confusing. Which resume is for this? Which cover letter? Like where is all my stuff? So it's so nice to have a folder. And then the practice thing, so important. And Mm -hmm. so important to practice out loud because you can think that you're thinking about it in your head or maybe if you have questions and you like type out bullet points, but really getting used to talking out loud about these topics is just so helpful and it can be a huge, huge game changer. And then also one thing that I found to be very helpful is practicing every day in small amounts so that you kind of are refreshed on your answers and on your kind of ideas that you've been brainstorming because I know like I was interviewing a few weeks ago a lot and then I just, I went camping and I kind of just didn't do anything for a week and then I forgot about everything. So I was like, oh, it would be so helpful to just every day for a for a little bit, just kind of refresh yourself on the questions that you prepared and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think verbalizing things is so important because there's a difference between if there's a child in front of you who has a practice of speech and you can pick all the signs, it, it's in your head. It's kind of like the difference between receptive language versus expressive. So to be able to pick out those signs and say that, yes, they have a praxia is different from when you can verbalize it when there's no one in front of you and you can say exactly what it looks like. So that's why I think practicing, like you said, is so important. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think this is going to be so valuable for people. Honestly, for me, it's been so nice to talk to you. I feel like lucky that I get to talk to someone who has so much experience in this area. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And once again, go follow Grace on at Speech Therapy Mom and check out her YouTube channel. I love your Instagram, your infographics and your videos and everything. It's one of my favorite pages. So everyone should go check out her Instagram. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I'll see everyone next next Monday.